You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Uh, the scripture today is from Matthew 5, 27 to 32. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her, heart, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Would you pray with me? Our Father, this is a a difficult text and a good word for us that we need to hear. We need every word that comes from your mouth. And we ask that you would feed us on your word this morning. Father, that you would speak to us, that you would do a powerful work of your spirit among us that you would revive our hearts, that you would awaken us, that you would confront us where we need to be confronted, and that you would make us new, that you would make us your people, that you'd build us up, make us what you call us to be, what you say we are as sons and daughters of the King. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a difficult word, a word on divorce and adultery, lustful looking, a confrontative word, as Jesus has a knack of doing through the Sermon on the Mount. A friend of mine was married. When I met him, uh, seemed happily married for close to 10 years. Uh, He had several kids, his wife, of course, a job, a house. Things seemed to be going well for them. But in time, a secret came out, a secret that had remained hidden for a long time in their relationship, that earlier in the marriage, quite early on in the marriage, on a long trip that the husband was on, he had committed adultery. He had been with another woman. And this had remained hidden, a secret for for several years. And when it came out, when the secret came out, this was, in their case, the beginning of the end of their marriage. And actually, if we speak more honestly about it, uh, the beginning of the end of their marriage was in that act of adultery. And actually, if we speak further back, after the words of Christ in this passage, we find that the beginning of the end was actually before that act. There's something that Jesus speaks of that is called adultery of the heart. 
And if you're here this morning and you're married, if you're here and you're desiring to be married one day, anticipate getting married, you know that even to imagine the possibility of being cheated on in this way is jealousy-provoking and disastrous. It is one of the most disruptive acts that we can imagine to be cheated on in this manner. And so it's no surprise that the Word of God, that the God of Israel, lists in his ten words from Sinai, the Ten Commandments, uh, as the Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's no surprise that these words, which are so often heard as restrictive words, uh, words that limit us, especially in a time of permissive and so-called free sex, that these words are actually words of life, words that protect and guard. And so it is with all the commands of God. While we make God's commands out to be words of restriction that restrict happiness, that hinder our happiness, we find throughout the scriptures that all of God's commands, even the most difficult ones, are actually given not to hinder happiness, but to protect to allow happiness and growth to flourish in our lives, to to grow. His commands are for us to grow and to protect our happiness in the Lord. Time and again, we hear this refrain in the scriptures as God gives his law and various laws, that it may go well with you, the God of Israel says. Do this, don't do that, that it may go well with you. His laws are for our good, we find. And so it is with his prohibition against adultery. His law is good. It's protective. And its goodness, we find, according to Jesus, goes farther still. Because as Jesus reveals here, God's law against adultery isn't just about the physical act, but this law, what we find in Jesus' teaching, that this law, the law that God had given to Israel, has deep roots, and it's about the heart. It's about the heart. And Jesus extends this seventh commandment and applies it in two ways in our text. First, he says that to even look with lust at another is to commit adultery, an adultery of the heart. To even look with lustful intent, as he says, is to commit adultery. And second, that to divorce is to cause adultery. These are two hard words that the Lord offers to us as people, and good words that the Lord offers to us. That to lust is to commit adultery, and to divorce is to precipitate or cause, in a manner, adultery. And in both cases, as we'll see, Jesus' concern is not just to prohibit, but to protect marriages, to protect marriages, to protect individuals, to protect the children of those marriages, to protect whole societies, which are built on these marital foundations. This is Jesus being against adultery because he is so pro-human flourishing and pro-marriage. So first we'll consider to lust is to commit adultery. Look with me at verse 27 and following. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And to this, you say, these are not the same thing. This is not the same thing. 
Surely there's a difference in the eyes of Jesus between an act of adultery and simply looking with lustful intent at another person. Is there not a difference? And while I believe Jesus would agree that there is a difference, and we see this difference played out in various laws in the scriptures, that there is a difference between these two things, to stress the difference at this point in Jesus' teaching would be to miss the similarity which Jesus is drawing our attention to in this passage. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, he says, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, it should be noted that Jesus is not saying here that all sexual attraction is wrong. That would be a problem. (laughs) Uh, That would be a problem for our world, right? Um, We were made as sexual beings who are called to cultivate our sexual attraction in the right direction, right, uh, t- towards marriage. Right? This is everything to do with propaganda. I mean, the, the human race, the story of the human race would be a pretty short story if there was no sexual attraction kind of built in to the human race. Right? Uh, sexual attraction in and of itself is not wrong. We're created as sexual beings. He's not saying that to notice beauty in another is wrong. And neither is he commanding his followers to be neutered or to become asexual beings or to become the kinds of beings who are never sexually attracted. This is not Jesus' call on on his followers. But what he is saying is that his people, we, his people, are never to look upon another who isn't our own spouse with lustful intent or might be translated for the purpose of lusting or to awaken sexual desire. This is... Not, uh, this is not allowed to the people of God. And to do this is to have already committed adultery in your heart. You've already done it, he says. You've already done it. Okay. By looking upon another with lustful intent, you've already done it. You may not have had the opportunity to act on it. You may not have had the courage to act on it. But your heart's already been exposed already been exposed as an adulterous heart, a heart that is looking to awaken love and desire in the wrong places, an adulterous heart. So he goes on to instruct us then in what we're supposed to do about this. As people who find ourselves prone to lust, prone to looking with lustful intent, how are we as the people of God to respond? How are we to be righteous in a way that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, as Jesus says? What are we to do? Well, here's what Jesus says next in verses 29 and following. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, obviously, this is hyperbole, but the hyperbole makes its point, does it not? That sexual sin, sins of lusting after someone that we have no business lusting after, this is whether in person with somebody that we know, or in pictures, with images, videos, whatever it is, that such lusting, such sexual sin, is to be avoided at all cost. And so we might ask, are you tempted to look with lustful intent? Where are you tempted to look? Where, in, in what ways are you prone to falling in this area? 
Is your hand tempted to wander in ways that it ought not? Gouge out your eye, Jesus says, and cut off your right hand. And of course, this hyperbolic call has implications in all kinds of areas for us. It moves us to ask a question like this. What in your life right now is enabling sinful patterns of lust? Okay. What in your life right now is enabling sinful patterns of such sexual sin? Perhaps some of you have become too comfortable with having unlimited access to data on your phones. Too comfortable with access to computers in private spaces. Too comfortable with wandering into websites or places that will lead you and inevitably leads you to sin. What about secret relationships? that you've been cultivating in private that others don't know about. Right? The places that you go, the websites, the houses, the private places. Such looking, Jesus says, is a kind of adultery. It is a kind of cheating that Jesus will have nothing to do with. Cut it off, he says. Gouge it out. Do what it takes. Do what it takes right, to get rid of this. This may be this may involve something like limiting your internet access. Okay? For some of you, the right and wise and good thing to do here would be simply to get rid of the internet altogether. Okay? Uh, there are some things that we simply cannot handle. For some of you, it may be a matter of confession of sin to others, those private sins that nobody knows about. Uh, taking that bold step of confessing your sin to another, getting accountability, seeking to get accountability in areas of lust and looking with lustful intent, right? Cut it off, do what it takes, gouge it out, cut off your hand is the kind of extreme measures that Jesus calls us to, to respond to our lusts. Don't be deceived, Jesus says. God will not be mocked. Sin destroys. And Jesus calls you to cut it out and to be free, right? to walk in freedom. Repent, he says. Gouge it out, cut it off. Everything that, need, that leads to such adultery of the heart, be pure, and so be free. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell, Jesus says. Second, to divorce, he goes on to say. To divorce is another way of committing adultery or causing adultery. Verse 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is referring to Deuteronomy 24, where Moses explains that a man could only divorce a woman if he found some indecency in her. The, the Hebrew word there is related to a, a kind of nakedness. Okay, this seems to be a, the suggestion of a kind of a sexual indecency in her. And this had been interpreted in a great number of ways for the Jews of Jesus' day. Right? Uh, a kind of loose permission of husbands to divorce their wives for any and every reason. Right? Um, and to, to this, Jesus says, no, that wasn't the intent of God's law from the beginning. That was not the intent, no. Divorce is not to be done at all, he says, except on the grounds of what he calls porneia, is the Greek term. 
some kind of sexual indecency, right, following the way of Moses, uh, and arguably uh, an act of adultery. Okay? It's only, according to Jesus, it's only a fundamental covenant-breaking act that allows for the very possibility of divorce. Okay? Divorce should not be done in a cheap manner. Uh, divorce should be the last straw. Right? Divorce is only to be even considered in the face of a fundamental covenant-breaking act. But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's interesting. What, what, is, what is the problem for Jesus here at this point of divorce? Well, the problem, according to Jesus, is that divorce leads somewhere. It results in what he calls adultery. Not only for the divorcee, but also for the one who marries them. Okay. It creates this scenario in which adultery takes place. Adultery flourishes. This is his reason for saying, do not get divorced. Except for this very particular um, covenant-breaking act where it can be considered. And again, it's not, it's not commended at that point, but it's made allowable at that point. And at this point, we might ask, why? Why, for Jesus, is adultery such a problem? What's, uh, what's Jesus' basic concern here? That he's trying to prohibit any kind of adultery, adultery of the heart in our lustful looking, adultery by, uh, by way of divorce. And the answer to this has everything to do with Jesus, along with the whole revelation of God, all of the scriptures, being consistently and deeply pro-marriage. God is pro-marriage and hates divorce, and so hates all that would lead to the breakup of marriage. Jesus is against adultery of every kind because God loves marriage and wholeness and flourishing of whole families and flourishing of societies. He seeks to protect marriages, to foster, to cultivate, to grow your marriage for those who are married and mine and all marriages that have ever been or ever will be. Why? Why? Because as Paul explains, marriage by definition in the scriptures has been given as a sign and foretaste, as a picture and proclamation, you might say. However broken these pictures are and these proclamations might be, that this is the function of marriage, that it's a sign and foretaste, a picture and a proclamation of the relationship between God and his people. I mean, the basic storyline of the scriptures can be understood as a God who created us to marry to himself a people. Right, to have for himself a bride, a, a, a people with whom he can be intimate and share relationship forever, for an eternity. Right, this is God's desire. Right? And this, this relationship, of course, culminates, we see in the New Testament era, in the relationship between Christ and his bridegroom. Right? Uh, Christ and his bride, the church. As it turns out, your marriage and the marriages around you, the marriages under which you might have grown up and observed, that these are given to teach you to prepare you, to form you, to inform you, to know and to faithfully respond to God's covenantal love for you. This is the design of what marriages are for. And when a man divorces his wife for any reason, apart from her fundamental breaking of the, of the marriage covenant, this too is an affront to the very meaning of marriage, 
what God designed marriage to be, the one flesh union which signifies Jesus' love for his bride. And so we're called to be a people who don't commit adultery, not with our bodies or hearts, not through lustful looking or wrongful divorcing, but to be pure, to be a people of purity who might see God, to be a people of faithfulness to Christ and to our spouses, which in many respects is one and the same. This is a tall order for us who are inundated with images in a sexualized time and culture. For us in our own brokenness, with broken desires, in broken families, and broken places. And we fail. We fail. The truth is we look with lustful intent. We divorce for complex reasons, rarely for something so simple as one party cheating as the whole story. We are adulterers, cheaters, mockers of God's faithful love towards us. And the good news for all of us who fall and who fail in this is that Jesus has not fallen and he has not failed in any of these ways. We find that Jesus is instead the pure bridegroom and he loves his bride faithfully and purely, you and me and all who come to him in faith. He's the one who has never committed adultery, never looked with lustful intent upon a woman. His right eye has never caused him to sin and his right hand has never caused him to sin. He has never and will never divorce his bride, the church. He's faithful. He's faithful. And in fact, even when she, the church, we, the church, lust and cheat, divorce and wrongly remarry, Jesus still is faithful, still remains at our side, at the side of his church. He remains with us, he perseveres with us, and loves us to the end. So for all of us who continue to struggle against sins of lust, sins of adultery, even wrongful divorce, there is good news for people like you and me. That he loves us and calls us to a high calling, to purity, to cut off all that's leading to sin. And he does all of this with an absolute commitment to us, as the Apostle Paul tells us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. <laughs> if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's good. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with all of our weaknesses in the flesh, and we confess our sins again to you and are grateful for the extension of your forgiveness to us in Christ. We're grateful to know that we have such a one as Christ who's committed to us, his bride, who stands with us despite our imperfections, despite our own adulterous hearts. He stands with us. And Father, we thank you for this gift that's ours of being included in him, of being the bride to his bridegroom, and so being made yours, forgiven, received, cleansed, made whole. 
and included in your family. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.